Now, it's very important that we put our hearts in God's word today and let his word make that difference. And so I want you to find Acts 16. I'll I'll get you to the key verse in a moment. But let's begin by just finding the book and the chapter. It's the book of Acts and it's the 16th chapter. Let me give you the context that will set in motion where we'll start reading. Paul and Silas, according to what the word says, have been beaten severely. They have been thrown into the prison. But there's something so unusual that's been happening that the jailer is then charged with this order to make sure that they don't escape. Now, knowing that they were beaten severely, and you know by what you see happening in Jesus, what the Roman soldiers did to him, that when the Bible says that someone was beaten, we're talking about to the point of death. And yet, they're so concerned that the jailer is then ordered, make sure that these two guys that we've now beaten severely and put in prison don't escape. And so the jailer takes them to what is called the inner dungeon. It's the worst place of a very bad place. And the Bible says that he puts them in stocks, hands and feet. So now... It's almost indescribable what their circumstance is like. Let me just say that for them, life was at its worst. That's the context. And we're about to see their actions starting in verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Things could not be worse. It's not just a a, a negative circumstance. They are in physical pain. It seems that their future is done and their life will end in the lowest part of that horrible prison in Philippi. And their response was to pray and to praise. This is the third message In a series that we've just started, we have a mantra, and it's this. As we pray, the supernatural empowers the natural, and this is how we conquer. We're going to add to it today and continue this strategic approach to life so that we win. And here it is, right from verse 25. As we pray and praise. Would you say that first part with me? Say it with me. As we pray and praise. The supernatural empowers the natural. And this is how we conquer. Now we see two guys singing in their midnight crisis. The midnight hour. The lesson today in this this desire to when to conquer, is learning to sing in the key of midnight. I have sung in major keys. I have sung in minor keys. I have sung in the wrong key. We're not talking today about singing in a major key or a minor key. We're talking about singing in the key of midnight. Being willing to praise God 
when things could not be worse. This is going to do something for us that nothing else will do. Anybody is apt to praise God when things are going well. You got the context. So seeing that Paul and Silas were praying and praising, we know there's a depth, there's something going on when two men in that condition can sing at midnight. Singing in the key of midnight reflects a God who is bigger than our trials and affirms that God is in charge. I want you to consider that, and if you agree with that, I'll read it again and engage in the message. It has a way of internalizing it for you. I'm going to say this, and if you agree with it, if you've experienced it, if you believe this, then you can respond with a yes or an amen or, or whatever. One person who was newly saved when I was preaching said, hot dog. So the singing in the key of midnight reflects a God who is bigger than our trials and affirms that God is in charge. Paul and Silas are teaching us something. They're teaching us that at that moment, pain wasn't in control. Their problem wasn't in control. Their emotions weren't in control. The crisis wasn't in control. Their confusion wasn't in control. Their disappointment wasn't in control. No, people who sing in the key of midnight, even though they are in the worst of times, still know that God is in control. People who sing in the key of midnight teach us they don't just know about God. They know God. I love Colorado. I, I love the mountains. I can't help but think of Colorado this time of year. I remember going on an elk hunting trip some years ago with a group of guys, and we went to the high country, and there was 20,000 private acres, and the person who owned those acres said to us, the elk are here. Early the next morning before the hunt began, it was a couple of days before the hunt, we were going to go and and scout and try to find a good place to to do the hunting. And so early that next morning, as the sun was coming up, I'm looking out over this ridge, and I have my binoculars, and about 800 yards away is this 5 by 5 bull elk. And that day at lunch, when all of those guys were gathered back up, I looked at them and I said, the elk are here. Do you see what had changed? I mean, we were in Colorado. Information says elk are here. The owner of the property said elk are here. But by lunch that day, I had moved from information to a revelation. Because I had seen the elk with my own eyes. It was real to me at a whole nother level. When you are singing in the key of midnight, You are singing out of a relationship that is far more than information. You're singing out of a relationship that is real to you because you know God. Not just about God. When you're in the midnight crisis, you can't turn to a manual and say, Okay, what do you do in a a time like this? What do you say? What do you sing? No, you, you respond out of a soul 
that has made God its very dwelling. You know God, Paul and Silas, they knew God, not just about God. Terry Bogue was just a great follower of Christ. He was in the church there in Memphis that we pastored. He was a deacon. Just a model follower of Jesus. Husband, father, churchman, servant to the church and to the community. I mean, this guy was heroic in the eyes of that church. And I watched as a midnight crisis of sickness came to him and it diminished his physical ability and his strength. I can remember when they brought in the hospital gurney to his living room and there he was in that weakened condition. And I would go and visit with him and there would be hospice nurses and IVs and he was just a skeleton of a man. And with just that little bit of strength that he had, he said, let's worship Jesus. He was a man who knew how to sing in the key of midnight. You don't learn that from a book. You don't learn that from a class you take. You learn that from a relationship you have, that there is a shepherd of the deepest valley. There is a God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the reason the Bible states him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is to show God's faithfulness to the generations. And you know he's your God and he is with you. And you learn of him. And out of that relationship you can sing in the midnight hour. Kelly showed you this picture last Sunday. This precious little girl in the house of grace there in Thailand. She had just recently been home and a horrible circumstance in her home had her back at the house of grace thinking that her mom may not even be alive and so she would pick up the phone and call her mom. Try to make contact. The phone would ring and ring and ring. And then she would hang up the phone and she would come into a setting and she would worship Jesus. She would sing of God's love. Learning to sing in the key of midnight has nothing to do with how old we are. There is no doubt that somehow that little girl is experiencing a relationship with Jesus at her level of understanding, and even she is able to show by her authentic worship that that great problem and fear is not in control, that her Jesus is still in control. If ever you think here in the big house there's just not the anointing that there should be, go up to children's church. Because the Bible says that in the mouth of babes, God has ordained praise. It's authentic, it's pure, it's awesome. I want to tell you, this isn't about age. This isn't about how many years you've come to church. This isn't about how many classes you've taken. This is about the kind of relationship you have built with Jesus so that you are able to say, through your pain, he's still God. I don't understand, but I praise you. I'm hurting, but I praise you. My heart is breaking, but I praise you. My world is falling apart, but I praise you. 
My world falling apart doesn't control me and my pain doesn't control me and my circumstance doesn't control me. My God is in control and he's bigger than this trial and I praise you. That's singing in the key of midnight. That's singing in the key of midnight. Paul knew this. He knew how powerful it was. Right during this this time in church life, in the history of the church, there was another great disciple of Jesus named John. He was out preaching the gospel. And the Roman emperor hated it and even tried to kill him. I mean, like, went to amazing uh, efforts to kill him, and it just didn't work out. It's like, the guy, you, you couldn't kill him. He, God just would raise him back up. And so... The emperor said, we're going to put him on Patmos. We're going to exile him to that island. And, and you've got to understand, it wasn't a vacation. He was shipped out to a slave labor camp, not for a week, not for a semester, not for like a few years, but for the rest of his life. That rock of an island that would rise out of the Aegean Sea, and the way people died there was by starvation. It's the most horrible of circumstance. And in one way, a commentary even says that all John could hear was the moan in a minor key of the dying. But I beg to differ. There was another key. I can hear it. You can hear it too, because as we step into John's circumstance on the Isle of Patmos, we see that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'm hearing a different key. I'm hearing a guy who knew how to sing in the key of midnight, and as a result of his relationship, what he knew about God as he, as he worshipped even through the most horrible... I mean, it, it couldn't be worse for him, and he's worshipping The fact that he had revelation led to even more revelation. And that's why you and I have the book of Revelation. Because some of your greatest work comes out of your worst days. When you know him. When you have a relationship with him. And in part of the revelation that he wrote. Because the Holy Spirit said, now John, I want you to write what you see. And hear. And he wrote about the worship of heaven, It's this ever-widening circle around the throne of God as people from nations and the 24 elders and all of the angelic heavenly hosts were there declaring the holiness and the righteousness and the glory of God. And here was this man. He, he's like, I'm familiar with that because I'm doing that now. And when I get to heaven, I'll just be in an eternal flow of unadulterated, pure worship. Listen to John. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and behold before me. There's one whose head and hair were white like wool like snow. Whose eyes were like the flame of fire. His voice the sound of many waters. And he gets this amazing revelation of Jesus. Because when you worship in the midnight hour, what the Holy Spirit does is raise before you the majesty and the power of the one who's bigger than your trial and who's in charge. And then he says, John, listen. Don't you be afraid. I'm the one who was dead and I'm alive again. And I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and hell. 
meaning I'm in control, I'm bigger than this trial, you're going to outlive this trial. I, are, are you hearing what the Spirit is trying to say to your heart today? When you sing in the key of midnight, it's because you know Him. You know Him. Susie Land is a young lady who's been to this church many times. She is a graduate of Oral Roberts University just this past year. An amazing, gifted young lady. God has given her such a gift of music, both to play and to sing. And I've always been impressed by her, her life and her voice. And, and, and I've lived long enough when somebody's singing to know the difference between somebody who's just singing a song and someone who's singing a song from their soul. And that there's a substance behind their ability. It's more than just talent. ORU has just released a new CD, and on it are two songs that Susie has written, and one is all about the presence of God. I was listening to it last night, and I said to my son, who's a great friend of hers, you know, this is an amazing song. And he said, well, Dad, you know that she wrote that on one of the recent anniversaries of her dad's death. Her dad was killed in a tragic accident. And so this song rose from her worst day. She's now a worship leader in a church in Arkansas, and that church will come to know what I know, and that is they not only have a skilled worship leader, they not only have a gifted worship leader, they not only have a talented worship leader, they not only have a worship leader who knows how to sing on key, she knows how to sing in the key of midnight. She doesn't just know about God, she knows Him. Verse 25 says, And around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And look at this next line. And the other prisoners were listening. Well, we need to get this, get this in your heart. Singing in the key of midnight has influence on those closest to us. People are watching you. There are people who you influence who are going to be marked by the way you manage this current midnight. When Israel fought the Amalekites at Rephidim, it seemed like a single day and a single battle, and they won, and all is good. But there was much more than just that day and just that battle. For you see, out of Israel came the seed of the gospel. And had they lost that day, then what would have happened to the redemptive plan of God? It would have appeared that day it was all about the Amalekites. There's always so much more hanging in the balance of the battles we fight. The battle you're fighting, your midnight, is more about this, more than just this hour, this season, this day, this specific circumstance. There's more than you could ever imagine hanging in the balance of how you manage this midnight. As they prayed and praised, says that the prisoners were listening. And it's amazing that as Paul and Silas experienced freedom, it says, and all the prisoners' chains fell off. Hear this in your spirit. When you refuse to let your pain and your problem control you, 
Rather, you allow God to be in control and to be bigger than your problem, your midnight crisis. And you take advantage of your power of choice to praise, even though it's hard. You will move to a place of freedom, and there will be such power in that experience, you'll look around and someone closest to you will also be experiencing freedom, their chains will also fall off. I got to know how to conquer. And I'm learning. It's not easy. Because a battle's never easy. There's no sweetness in victory if there's been no intensity in the battle. Just how sweet was the freedom that Invaded that prison that night. It had to be awesome compared to the darkness and despair and pain that they were in. Somebody needs to keep singing. Because at midnight, if it's the darkest hour, maybe it's about to break to some of the greatest, most brilliant light of God's glory and freedom you could ever imagine. Now, verse 27 says that the jailer woke up to see that the prison doors were wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, remember, he had been ordered to make sure that Paul and Silas didn't escape. Now, everyone is apparently free, so he's going to kill himself because he knows that his direct report's going to have him killed for allowing everybody to escape. But Paul shouted, stop, don't kill yourself, we're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and he asked, what must I do to be saved? This man who's been under the emperor, this man who has, has been brought up to, to say that Caesar is Lord and there's no other name given among men whereby you can be saved other than Caesar. He is on his knees saying, how can I be saved? And here's the reason. Because when you learn to sing in the key of midnight, it gives off a life-changing witness. When we get to heaven... You can meet the jailer because this isn't just some fable. This is real. The jailer is in heaven. You can find him. And if you do, you can say, hey, could you relive the, the experience you had in that prison? Just tell me from your own, your own words. And when he tells you about that activity and running in and falling down and getting saved, he's going to say, let me introduce you to my wife. Let me introduce you to my kids. My extended family, because my entire household got saved. All because there were two men that knew how to sing in the midnight hour. It will influence those closest to you. It'll be a life-changing witness to those who don't even know Jesus. Verse 26, I go back to that to focus in on this important truth as we close. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. Now remember, Paul and Silas, they're singing in the midnight hour and the, 
The earth starts to shake and the prison is shaking now at its foundations. The doors fly open. Notice this. The chains of every prisoner fell off. In closing, I want to tell you that worship, when we worship, the atmosphere changes. When you worship in the midnight hour, you experience a God who comes in the midst of the darkness, comes right in the midst of the battle. He comes in the midst of the pain and the confusion and the horrible. He comes and he makes himself known, his presence. Oh, you will get to the deliverance, but you will find his presence is even greater than the deliverance. I don't want to say that and just move on. Hear that. You may have been in church like 150 years. Hear me. God's presence is even greater than the deliverance. You understand that he's there. I've been in tough times and where I've taken... This, this path and praise, I can't tell you of a building that ever actually physically shook. But I can't name one time where the atmosphere didn't change. God made himself known. In the book of Acts, the ground shook, the building shook. It was like showing up in the physical reality. Chains fell off, doors flew open. And, and God, you hear me, he can manifest in the physical realm in Powerful ways. Don't ever doubt it or deny it. But whether he shows up in the physical with something as dramatic as the earth shaking and doors opening and chains falling, you know this, that every time you praise God, he will respond and the atmosphere will change. I want to give you a statement. It's been on my heart all morning. Worship is like a thermostat that changes the atmosphere to God. If you're sitting in your home and it's too warm, you, you move to the thermostat and you change the thermostat to get the atmosphere you desire. If it's too warm, you, you move to the thermostat, you adjust the thermostat to change the atmosphere to your desire, and now you sense that you changed it from hot to cold. When you praise God in the midnight crisis, what you're doing is you're changing the thermostat from pain to faith, from, from despair to hope, from darkness and despair to, to the light of God's presence and to the hope of God's presence. And what happens is it changes your perspective. And anytime your perspective is changed, it then changes your attitude. And when your attitude changes, it changes the way you talk about a given situation. And now you begin to speak. And so you've got a perspective change, an attitude change. Now you're speaking it. And you have changed the atmosphere. And it all started with singing in the key of midnight. Oh, we're going to conquer this week. Because we're picking up on a new strategy. We're going to pray and praise and everything doesn't have to be just right for us to praise.
we will not be those kind of people where everything has to be right. Then we praise because we're only consumers when we do that. No, no, no. We will change the atmosphere by our praise. Because when we praise, God responds.